Uh, that's probably the last thing you thought you would see on Easter Sunday morning, right? <laughs> well, uh, we're kicking off a series today uh, about doubt and faith. And what we're doing for several weeks starting today is doing our best to take an honest look at the reasons that people struggle with believing. Now, here's what I know. Just because you came here on Easter Sunday, that does not mean that you believe. You believe all the tenets of Christianity and believe in the Bible. Uh, I understand that for some of you, you're just here. I'm really glad that you are. Uh, But for some of you, you're just here, and you have a lot of questions. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time for several weeks looking at uh, the reasons that we struggle with faith and why you might believe. And uh, I'm just really, really glad that you're here. Now, let me pause. Uh, My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thank you for coming here on Easter Sunday. I'm wearing this T-shirt because I wanted to be a walking advertisement for uh, the 6K, the the Global uh, World Vision 6K. That's happening on May the 6th. It'll happen from our parking lot, walk down the trail, 6K, 6 kilometers, which is about 3.7 some odd miles. And uh, that's in conjunction with one of our partners in mission globally, uh, an organization called World Vision. World Vision, among other things, is one of the leading providers of clean water to uh, children, villages, places in places around the world that are developing where they don't have access to clean water. Now, we have some taste of that lately here locally. Uh, If you did not hear the news that there was a toxic poison released into our drinking water, thank you very much. Um, And I've been turning on the tap this week and drinking ice and going, am I going to die? What's going to happen right now? Uh, And it's a little taste of what people around the globe experience all of the time. One of the leading causes of death among children under five around the world is simply the lack of access to clean drinking water. And World Vision is making a tremendous difference in that. And so we want to be the kind of church, uh, we love that this happens on Sunday, but we want to be the kind of church that makes a difference on Monday through Saturday and make that more important than what happens in this room on a Sunday. We hope you're inspired, but we hope you go make a difference. And that's one way that you can make a difference. You can go to portage6k.com. That'll take you right to World Vision's site, right to our local race. That day around the globe, people will be walking, running, pushing someone in a stroller for 6K. And I would invite you to be a part of that. If you want to make a difference globally, in the life of a child, save their life literally uh, by walking 6K. You can do that on May the 6th. So they're, they're commercial over. Uh, today is Easter Sunday, and we have this litany that we do on Easter Sunday where I say he is risen, and then you say he is risen indeed. So I just want to see if you can beat the 9 o'clock service. They did an unbelievable job. So here we go. Ready? He is risen. I'm sorry they beat you, so let's try that one more time. Uh, he is risen. It's a tie. All right, that's fine. Hey, uh, we always read a passage of scripture together. I invite you to stand with me out of respect for God's word. I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen as well from the Gospel of John in the New Testament. This is just after the resurrection of Jesus. I'll read it aloud. You can follow along. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 disciples, was not with the other 11 disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. 
Well, Easter Sunday, uh, just so you are, are, we're all clear, uh, the meaning of Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday is the celebration of Jesus rising from the dead. Now, I kind of feel like I need to say that because sometimes that message gets lost. But here's what it means, and here's why Christians make a really big deal of it. If someone could beat death, then that someone would have the power to give anyone else new life. Because who beats death? Uh, That means that that someone would have the ability to forgive people for their wrongs and wipe the slate clean. It would mean that someone would have the ability to heal people from the hurts that they've had in their life. It would mean that that someone would have the power to help a marriage start over. It means that someone would be able to heal someone's body from a disease like cancer. It means that that someone would have the ability to give a fresh start to someone who was an addict. Uh, Because of the resurrection of Jesus, what Christians believe is that nothing is ever dead. Nothing is absolutely too far gone. Uh, There's not a single heart. There's not a single family. There's not a single life that's beyond the reach of Jesus because he rose from the dead. If you can beat death, you can beat absolutely anything. And so now we understand that Jesus commands our life, that he directs our future, and he gives hope to our present. Now this is why Christians make such a big deal of Easter. In fact, uh, on Sunday, the first day of the week, that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, The first Christians said, you know what, in that day, uh, religious people worshipped on Saturday, the Sabbath, and they said, we're going to celebrate every single week the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and they said, we're going to worship on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, and so that's why now Christians around the globe, uh, billions of Christians around the globe today, on Sunday, are celebrating the Lord's resurrection from the dead. So uh, Easter is not about a bunny, it's not about eggs, it's not about chocolate. Listen, I love bunnies, eggs, and chocolate. And if you love bunnies, eggs, and chocolate, knock yourself out. Don't breed rabbits. It's a bad idea. But knock yourself out with the other stuff. But it's not primarily about that. I like what Chuck Colson said about the resurrection. If you don't know who Chuck Colson is, Chuck Colson was uh, President Nixon's uh, on President Nixon's team. President Nixon was impeached, if you know the story. Predates me a little bit. Uh, part of the Watergate scandal. And Chuck Colson was referred to as President Nixon's hatchet man. And uh, when Watergate broke, Chuck uh, Colson spent a number of years in prison. And in prison, he went there. He's an intellectual, uh, very smart guy, obviously at the top of his game. And he went to prison, and he examined the message of Jesus, and he examined the, the proof, uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And he became convinced, and he had a conversion in prison. And started, when he came out, an organization called Prison Fellowship that ministers to prisons and their, uh, prisoners and their families Every year, in fact, at Christmas, we do this thing called Angel Tree that's uh, part of prison fellowship. And he had a conversion. He said, listen, uh, the reason I believe in the resurrection is because of Watergate. And he said, here's why. He said, because uh, the resurrection happened and the 12 disciples for 40 years kept telling the same story. And some of them were tortured and killed for their faith and they never recanted on their faith. They never did it. He said, the reason I believe in the resurrection is because Watergate, because for that period of time when that story broke, there were 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep a lie together for three weeks. He said, so I believe in the resurrection uh, because of Watergate. And and here's the reality. If the resurrection is true, then it's literally the answer to everything. Uh, Life can have purpose. Life can have meaning. This life is not all that there is. There's more than you can experience in your life. And, and I would suggest that you have to consider, maybe it's true, two billion people around the world think so. And that's what Christians, uh, why Christians celebrate the resurrection every Easter Sunday and every Sunday, as a matter of fact. But here's the question, where does that leave you if you doubt? 
The Apostle Paul wrote a letter. Now, if you know how the New Testament is structured in the, uh, the Bible, the New Testament is uh, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story, the, kind of the biography of Jesus. And then basically the rest of the New Testament are letters written to little communities of people who began following Jesus, little churches. And one of those letters, uh, many of those letters were written by the Apostle Paul, the, the man who was sent and started a lot of those churches around ancient, uh, the ancient Middle East. And he wrote to some Christians in Corinth in ancient Turkey, and he said, listen, if Christ is not raised, then we're still in our sins, and you should pity us Christians more than anybody. So if it's not true, it uh, makes, makes it totally worthless. But what do you do if you doubt that? Now, I, you don't need me to tell you this. It's pretty obvious that we live in a very divided time in our world. Can you feel the tension? It's just kind of constantly there. It's kind of constantly under the surface. And many people uh, suggest that the reason the tension is there is because of religion, that religion is at the heart of the divide that we feel in our world. I, I thought it was just me, and I'm not, I'm not young anymore, but I'm not really old, <laughs> kind of right in the middle. And, and I thought, you know, that I've never felt our society more divided than it is right now. And, but maybe that's just me. And so I asked some of the more senior members of our church, uh, who've been around for a few more decades than me, and I said, have you ever felt anything or seen anything like this? And they said, no. Uh, frankly, we have never seen anything uh, more divided than this right now. And I, I, you don't need me, again, you don't need me to tell you, this is taking a toll on us. Um, people's emotions are redlining. If you know how stress works in your body, when you're under stress, your body dumps a chemical into your system called cortisol. And cortisol is meant to give you a short-term burst of energy to get through the stress on the other side. But when you are under stress for a long period of time, that cortisol becomes like uh, a very, it's like leaded gasoline in a tank, and it actually begins to tear down your body. And so a lot of us are at stress levels that are just elevated all the time, and it's actually not physically good for us. And here's the, here's the kicker of the whole thing. Again, it seems like religion is honestly at the heart of all this. There's all this confusion about Islam and Christianity and Judaism. Um, there's an academic, his name's Stanley Fish, he's very well respected, he's not a Christian, and someone was asking him, he said, what's the, what's the thing that we're going to be facing next in the world, as a world? What are we going to have to come to terms with? How are we going to have to understand what's going on? What, are we, what issues are we going to have to wrestle through? And his response was immediate, he said, religion. It's absolutely religion. Now, if you were to crunch the numbers between people who doubt and people who have faith, you would find that the numbers are going up in both camps. So, uh, every year, uh, an organization called the Gallup Organization, they do a bunch of polls, they do a poll, and they ask Americans a whole bunch of questions, and one of them is, do you have a religious preference? And they've found over the last decade that the people who check the box, it says none, not N-U-N, where I have it, none, the N-O-N-E, none, none, no, I have no religious affiliation, I have no attachment to a church, I have no connection with God, that that number has uh, doubled, and in some cases tripled in the last decade. So the number of people who doubt and who think that, that faith is at the, the heart of why we have the problems in the world, that number is going up. If you've ever uh, read books by Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, who are just kind of avowed atheists, and I'm in the middle of one of their books right now. Uh, but, but then you also would find out that all the religious faith numbers are going up, too, at the same time. Uh, in fact, the denomination we're part of, the, church, the tribe uh, network of churches around the globe, called the Church of the Nazarene, just exploding in growth all around the world. More and more people are, are becoming Orthodox Christians who believe in the, the message of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, as a local church here, we want to reach 1% of our two counties. There's 8,000 people. We want to grow and reach people, have more people understand that. So these numbers 
uh, these numbers are going up at the same time. So what do we make of that? Uh, because on the one hand, you've got the true believers, and you've got the people uh, who don't believe at all and think that faith is actually toxic. And so the people who think that faith, faith is toxic look at the believers and they say things like, listen, all they're, all they're doing is they're out to impose their beliefs on us, or they're trying to turn back the clock, or they're on the wrong side of history, or something like that. And then the, the people who believe look at the non-believers, and they throw stones at, at them, and they say, well, they're the enemies of truth, and they're unleashing relativism on our, our kids, and they're creating a godless culture for our kids. And here's the heart of the divide. Here's the heart of the problem, is we don't have the ability to reason with one another. We just denounce one another. And we don't know how to get along. So what are we going to do? Uh, a number of months ago, back in the fall, my wife and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, and so we took a, a short trip, and we drove our car to Midway Airport and parked it in the extended parking there at Midway Airport. And uh, when we came back from our trip, uh, found back, got back off the little shuttle bus and got back to the car, and there on the window was this sticker that said, City of Chicago, and I think it said slash Department of Revenue or something like that, and it didn't say why, why we had this sticker on our uh, window, but it was something official-looking. We didn't really know what it was, so we didn't really pay attention to it. We're like, why, why are they putting a sticker on our window? And we started to get these notices in the mail. And what we came to find out is that our, uh, our license was expired. We had the actual new tag in the, the, the thing saying it was coming in the glove box, but we hadn't put it on the thing. And so the city of Chicago saw dollar signs with a car just sitting there and slapped this tag on our window. Well, I got madder and madder as I got these things in the mail. I'm like, I'm not paying this thing. I live in Indiana. I'm not paying something to the city of Chicago. And then I get a final notice that says, uh, listen, we're, we're, if you've come to our state, we're going to suspend your license. I'm like, okay, fine. So I pick up the phone and I call the number for the city of Chicago. Now listen, that was not, I'm just going to tell you straight up, that was not, it was not my finest moment as a human being or as a pastor. I'm just going to tell you right now. I went into the conversation, and I was positive that I was right, and they were absolutely wrong. In fact, my seven-year-old daughter at one point came up to me. She said, Dad, be nice. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm letting this guy have it, and this guy is letting me have it, and we are, neither of us are backing down from our positions. I'm like, the city of Chicago, this is bureaucratic, and you know it, and you're just taking advantage of this. And he's like, well, if you do that, you're just going to give. And so we just went at it, and so finally I had had it, and I hate that now our phones can't be hung up. You can't hang up on somebody. Remember the days you could go, cool. So I went, okay, thank you very much. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> not my finest moment. I'm just going to tell you right now, okay? But that's what we're doing. That's, in essence, what we're doing with this issue of religion. We walk in with our perspective. The other person walks in with their perspective. We don't hear each other. We just denounce. So what are we going to do about that? Now, what I'm hoping happens through this series is that we could find a way forward that would keep us from doing that. And so in this series, what I, what I hope to do is, uh, I hope to do for you, if you're a person who struggles with doubt, or you don't believe, or you think, I just think this is a bunch of made-up stuff, that you could uh, get a sense, uh, an understanding of why it is that Christians believe what Christians believe, and I could make, hopefully make some sense for you, at least, of why Christians believe what they believe. Now, I, I don't, I'm not under any uh, assumptions that I will be able to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I likely can't do that because the reasons that we believe really are honestly so complex. We have um, intellectual reasons that we believe. You know, we, if you believe that the Bible is God's word to us, 
then you have some commitments that make sense to you. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, that makes sense to you, or you wouldn't believe that. And, and things have to make sense to us before we believe them. I, when I was in high school, I was wrestling with this whole issue, and I, uh, I picked up the writings of a guy named Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche is a, grew up in the church, and he became an ardent atheist and hated God, and he wrote about it and said that religion was just an attempt to get control and power over people. And I thought, I want to understand where this guy's coming from. This needs to make sense to me. So we believe, uh, kind of our beliefs come somewhat from an intellectual standpoint, but then there are also personal reasons. As a pastor, I see people all the time that go through traumatic events in their life. They'll lose someone. They'll go through abuse. Someone in their family will become an addict. And I see people go through those things, and they have two opposite responses to that. Someone will go through something terrible and tragic. Someone will die, and it will push that person toward God. Go, There's got to be a God. There's got to be more to this life. And then there are other people who will go through that, and they'll say, how could there be a good God that would let this happen to my mom? How, how could that possibly be the case? So I know there's a personal element to it, too. And then there's a social element to why we believe, you know, we like the people that think like us, and we want to be associated with those people. So this is kind of a, it's kind of a, 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 there's a whole lot of reasons that we believe why we believe. This series is not going to address all of those things, uh, but we're going to talk about the barriers, the, the mental barriers, and, and try and help make sense of uh, the common problems that people have with believing and, and do it in an honest way. So I'd invite you to be a part of that series for the next several weeks. Well, what we're going to do today is, or just for just a few more minutes, is we're going to, uh, uh, I want to offer that you could maybe look at doubt uh, in a different way, and in the next few weeks we'll look at some of the specific barriers. But it begins with you and I seeing doubt in a different way, and I would suggest to you that there are four ways that you could actually use doubt well that will help you uh, in understanding and making sense of faith. That might seem kind of counterintuitive to, it, to you, so stay with me here. Uh, we'll throw these on the screen, and you can write them down if you'd like. But here's the first thing that I think needs to happen, and I would say it to people who first are believers, I want to talk to you, um, is that you need to let your doubts water your faith. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, if you have faith and, and you don't have any doubts, I would suggest that that's kind of like a body, uh, my body or your body, that has no antibodies. You know, if you have no antibodies that can fight off infection and a virus comes along or a bacteria comes along, those antibodies will fight that off. If you don't have that, you're going to die. And doubt, in some ways, focus, uh, functions like an antibody in the, the body. And so if you don't have some doubts, when tragedy comes into your life, or someone skeptical comes along in your life and asks you probing questions that you don't have answers to, then what can happen, and I've seen this happen, is that your faith can collapse almost overnight because you didn't take the time to thoughtfully reflect on the reasons that you believe what you believe. And frankly, this is how you make your faith your own. Now, I, I have three kids, and my wife and I tell our kids, we say, we're, we're a Christian family. We follow Jesus. Uh, and I could say to my kids, so don't doubt, kids. Don't have any doubts. Don't struggle. Don't question. But you know, some of you, you grew up in that, right? Your parents had faith, and they told you you were not allowed to doubt, and you thought, well, why can't I doubt? And you wrestle today with that. You, you don't know quite know what to do with that. But your, 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 your doubts basically function like an antibody. But they also can function kind of like rain. It, we don't like cloudy days, but when that rain comes, things can actually grow. And so if you can acknowledge and wrestle with uh, doubts that you have and that other people have, then you can come to some understandings and some honest uh, assessments of the doubts that you have 
and, and understand why you believe what you believe. Because frankly, uh, if you are the person who believes in the Bible and believes that the Bible has something to say for our life, and you talk to someone who does not believe the Bible, and you quote the Bible at them, they're basically going to laugh at you. Because they don't believe the Bible. You think it has authority, they think it has absolutely none. But if you, can, if you can listen to your doubts, then in the end you can grow a strong faith that can handle uh, the objections that other people throw at it. And here's what it'll do for you, and here's why it's good for us in our divided world is that then, because you've wrestled with your doubt, you'll then have patience in understanding for people who doubt. Because if you, if you live under a cloud of doubt, you know it's a very dark place because you, question, you begin to question everything. But if you can wrestle with it, you can start to have patience and understanding for those people. Now here's the second thing, I would say this to believers, is that you need to realize that Jesus wasn't actually against doubt. Uh, in this, uh, this scene from the life of Jesus right after the resurrection, um, the disciples are, 11 of the disciples are with Jesus, and they see him, the resurrected Lord, and they go, man, this is, wow. Thomas is not there, we call him Doubting Thomas, and Thomas is not there, and so they go to Thomas, and they say, Thomas, we have seen the Lord, I mean, he's resurrected, this is real, this really happened, and Thomas says, you know, listen, listen, until I myself see with my own eyes, and I see his hands, and I touch, put my hand on his side where the spear went in his side, I'm not believing until I see it myself. Now, notice what happens is that Jesus appears and he says this phrase. He says to Thomas, he says, stop doubting and believe. Now, there's a couple ways that Christians take those words from Jesus and misuse them, and they're, frankly, they're wrong. And there's one way that's right that you can take those words and understand what Jesus actually meant by them. Um, one of the ways that Christians misuse those words is they assume what, what Jesus is saying is that only bad people doubt. And so churches and Christians sometimes can have no patience for someone who doubts. They can be too insistent. And they can paint people who don't believe as bad because in their heart of hearts, they think that person is bad. And then because religion is such a divisive thing, even, even non-believers who have goodwill and want to understand this, they assume that that is what's going on so that anytime a Christian is trying to talk about what they believe is true, what they're really trying to do is get control and have power over them. Or they assume they're attempting to shame someone, and that just doesn't work. I, when you say to someone, well, you're bad for doubting, that's not what Jesus meant. One of the other ways that Christians do that is they, uh, they basically say, okay, well, what, you need to get it together and quit your doubting. Like, cut that out. Stop that. I have never seen anyone change their mind, particularly on the issue of faith, by being shamed or criticized into it. I just have never seen it work. It just doesn't that's not what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did, if you notice how it happened. Uh, Jesus comes into the room, and the first thing he says is peace. And then notice what he says to Thomas. He says, Thomas. He doesn't say, stop doubting, Thomas. It's bad. Cut it out. He says, Thomas, look. Do you see my hands? Let me show you the evidence, Thomas. See my hands? Why don't you put your hand right here in my side, and you can see where the spear went. You see that right there? Thomas, let me show you the evidence. And then he says, so now, because you see the evidence, you can stop doubting and you can believe. And only then, after Thomas has seen the evidence and said, okay, well, this makes sense to me, does Thomas stop and he says, oh, my Lord and my God. That's exactly, uh, that's what happens right there. So as a, as a Christian, you've got uh, to let your doubts water your faith and you've got to realize that Jesus wasn't against doubt. But then I would also say this, if you're a non-believer, I would, I would say this, I would say that you need to actually doubt your doubts. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, 
believers need to wrestle with why they believe, but I also suggest that if you don't believe, you need to wrestle with why you believe what you believe. Because behind what you believe are a set of assumptions that maybe you've never actually examined, and you just assume what you think is right, but you've never actually examined the assumptions behind what you think what you think. I'll give you some examples. Uh, maybe you say in response to faith, and people will say, you know, Christianity is the way to God, and you go, well, there's, there's, there's no way there can just be one true religion. And a lot of people assume that, but that is basically just that. It's just an assumption. It's a statement of faith. In fact, if you went some places around the world, if you went to the Middle East, for, for instance, and said that, almost to a person, everyone there in a more traditional culture would say, well, why couldn't there be one, reason, one uh, true religion? Why, why couldn't that be the case? See, that's a statement of faith with some unexamined assumptions behind it. And you've got to doubt your doubts. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to examine why, why do I think that in the first place? Or maybe you say, and we'll talk more about this next week, you say, well, there's too much suffering in the world and it's, it's too bad for there to be a good God. Okay, well, you can't prove that. And you also have an assumption that you see the entire picture and you understand the, the trajectory of human history and you understand how things play out and you can see the end from the beginning. You're making some assumptions there. And uh, that's actually a statement of faith. Or you might say things like, well, Christians are hypocrites. Well, you would be right. Some Christians are hypocrites, but some Christians aren't hypocrites. And if you applied that same logic to everything, then you would look at someone like Joseph Stalin, who uh, ruled Russia, and he was an avowed atheist and said this will be an atheist country, and in the name of what, uh, of, of, of imposing his rule, killed millions and millions of people. So by that logic, then, if Joseph Stalin was an, an atheist murderer, then does that mean all atheists are murderers? See, there are some assumptions behind why you believe what you believe. And so I would uh, suggest that you examine the reasons that you doubt and that it's not fair to require Christians to give more proof for their beliefs than for your own. And so you've got to, at some point, doubt your own doubts and wrestle with the reasons that you doubt. So here's what would happen. If Christians would examine their faith and honestly look at their doubts and then have some patience then an understanding for people who doubt, and maybe you go through that as a Christian and you come out the other side with an even stronger faith. And someone who does not believe examines the, re the real reasons that they believe the things that they do and examines their assumptions for why they believe what they believe. Then you'll also come out the other side. Maybe you'll still hold that same position, but you'll have more patience for people who have faith. And you'll say, okay, I understand that. And if both groups did that, can you see how we could be more civil toward each other? Instead of denouncing each other, we'd say, oh, they got to their position with a lot of work. And that would make a change in this divided world that we feel. Now, here's the last thing, um, is that I would suggest to everyone, is that you not try to earn faith, but that you receive it. What do I mean by that? Well, Christianity, specifically, uh, is not blind. It's not blind faith. It's not a set of ideas that we just say believe all these things. Christianity is a historical faith based on the fact that there was a man named Jesus who lived, and all historians say there was a man who Jesus, named Jesus who lived in the first century, and that man preached the, the love of God and the kingdom of God and the availability of God's reign for your life. All historians agree with that, uh, that that man was then executed by the Romans uh, with the, the, the uh, understanding and agreement of the Jewish leaders, and that person died on a cross outside of Jerusalem. All historians agree with that. And then we get to the point where the resurrection happens, and Christians say it happened, and there's evidence for that, like Chuck Colson said, that those men uh, could not recant on something they knew to be true. Now, you have to see if you understand that, but see, Christianity is not just a set of beliefs we hand to people. It's based on something that actually happened. So 
Because of that, you don't, you don't earn it. You receive it as a gift. Because the life of Jesus was a gift. And Jesus came into the world and died on a cross for the sins of mankind and then rose again from the dead. That changes literally everything. And if you're an intellectually honest person, you have to examine and say, is this actually true? Because if it's actually true, then it absolutely changes your life. Now, there are a couple options that you could take out of this, and I would suggest uh, two of them to you. Uh, The first one might be that you're a person who doubts and you struggle believing, and I would just invite you to come back. I know what happens on Easter is that you come on Easter and you go, box checked, give me some eggs, see you at Christmas. I get that. Right? So glad you're here. I really am not throwing stones. I'm glad you're here. But maybe this would be a time where you'd give a couple more weeks and you would say, okay, I'm going to explore this. And instead of it just being something that I do, I'm going to actually explore why this is even here in the first place. And so many people seem to get so much meaning out of this. And you'd spend a couple weeks with us exploring that. Uh, and that might be you. That might be your step. The step for you might be that you are at the point in your life when you need the hope of the resurrection, and you need someone to wipe the slate clean, and you need someone to help you get past an addiction, and you need someone to show you how to forgive someone else so your relationship doesn't fall apart, and you need the resurrection power of Jesus. And so this would be a moment for you when you would say, "I'm going to let the resurrected Jesus into my life, and I'm going to begin to learn from Him and listen to Him." about how to live my life. And so you would just pray a prayer this morning that would say, okay, God, I'm going to let you into my life. And I'm going to begin today, Easter Sunday, 2017. It's a different day for me. So we have this practice around here, and what we do is just kind of at the close of the service, we just say, okay, well, if we've heard from God, then let's pause and examine what it might mean for our life. And so we have this kind of practice where we just invite people to have a private moment with God, and the way we do that is we just encourage people to close their eyes and kind of shut out everyone around. We're not going to steal your coat while you do that. Something weird. (laughs) It's just a way for you to have a private moment with God. And if you would be open to that, and and maybe it's just a moment for you to reflect and to think. Maybe it's a moment for you to pray. And if it's a moment for you to reflect, maybe you would reflect on, do you really know why you have the doubts that you have? If you're honest... Do you understand the assumptions behind the doubts that you bring and the reasons that you say you don't believe? Have you wrestled with those things? If this is a moment for you that you'd like to pray and maybe you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus, you could, you could say these words, God can hear your thoughts. If he can rise from the dead, he can hear your thoughts. And you could say some words like this. You could say, Jesus, I trust in the resurrection and I ask for a new life and only you have the power to give it to me. So I surrender my life to you and your resurrection power. Make me new. Give me a new start to life. Thank you. And then if you allow me, I'll pray for us and then we'll be done with our time together. God, thank you for these people in this room. Thank you that uh, you care about the beginning of their life and you care about the middle of their life and you care about the end of their life. You care about the whole thing. And Jesus, we trust that the resurrection happened, that new life is available to us, and that uh, the, the fact of the resurrection can overcome our doubt, and that we can tap into the resurrection power you have to give us a new start, to give us a do-over. God, we're grateful for that. Thank you. So Easter Sunday today, Lord, I pray this would be the day that uh, many people in this room who have been on the fence would let you in and begin to trust the resurrected Jesus. So thank you for coming into our world. 
Thank you for dying on a cross for our sins. Thank you for rising from the dead to each of us. Pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you would. You'll see some people around you at this point in the service. We always leave you with a blessing, and you'll see them hold out their hands, and that's just their way of saying they tangibly would like a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, it's okay too. Uh, but just receive this blessing. May you know the resurrection power of Jesus, the power to bring new life to anything that you think is dead. May you know that as you leave today. May you know that you're sent to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell me you love them. Thank you so much for coming. Happy Easter.